Bioinsights podcast. This episode is called Access to Vaccines. How can we leverage technology innovations to achieve greater vaccine equity? I'm Charlotte Barker, editor of Vaccine Insights from Bioinsights, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Fatima Kazi. Fatima works for the WHO, where she helps to assess the public health value of vaccine products and technologies in routine, campaign, and outbreak settings. She's here today to talk about how innovations in vaccine technology can help get vaccines to the people who need them. So thank you very much for joining me today, Fatima. So first off, um, I wanted to ask you, how did you get involved in working with vaccines technology? Hi, thank you for inviting me for this um, podcast. I'm really excited to be doing this. And um, yeah, this is a really cool question, actually, one that I love to answer because um, My journey into this field started um, as a child, actually. When I was living in Nigeria, um, my father took me to get all my childhood vaccinations, and that was actually quite an extraordinary experience. And I remember being completely gobsmacked at what was happening to me. Um, So in the 70s, going to a health clinic in Nigeria was quite visually quite stimulating. And I remember going to get all these different vaccinations and being completely terrified And then my father actually turned around to me and looked at me in my face and said, do you know what you're getting saves people's lives and they live much longer. And I remember at that moment thinking, this is obviously something really important, but I couldn't quite grasp it. I was way too young, but I started asking myself a lot of questions and trying to understand, you know, why, why do we go for these, these jabs? And um, as I grew up, I started um, getting interested in biology, immunology, and always fascinated with vaccinations. So it just became a gradual interest and passion. So then I decided to study in um, microbiology because I wanted to learn about all these pathogens that we're always trying to protect ourselves from as a means to get into this field. And so eventually I specialized in immunology. I wanted to understand how our immune systems work. How do we fight infections? Because I believe this is how you start to understand how to design and develop vaccines. And um, eventually I was lucky enough to work in different sort of academic institutions as a researcher in immunology and eventually run research projects looking at how to design vaccines against TB. So um, that was sort of my initial journey into this field. And then obviously from a public health perspective, ultimately I wanted to be able to apply all of this in a context that would make a difference basically. And so um, I decided to move into global health where I can apply all of this knowledge. And as you know, I now work in the field of COVID-19 vaccines and to be able to bring all of that experience and skill into this field now, I think is is what motivates me to continue to work in this area and pull together all the experience I've learned as an immunologist and in the lab to now um, apply it 
to global health. So, I mean, that that's my personal journey. And I think I've been lucky enough to be able to use that experience to work within teams or organizations that are at the forefront of um, vaccine research. And so tell me a bit about your role now at WHO um, with the R&D Blueprint. So I work in a team known as the R&D Blueprint and they're situated within the emergencies unit of WHO. They're an interesting team in itself. Um, Their role really is to work across um, the globe with experts in research and development for diagnostics, therapies, vaccines, strategies um, for specific pathogens that are identified as sort of emergency pathogens. So we're talking about diseases related to uh, diseases like Ebola, uh, Nipah virus, Zika, etc. And obviously with the pandemic, COVID-19 became part of this list. And so what I do specifically is I focus on the vaccine component of work, in particular on COVID-19. And so um, since the pandemic, I've had several roles whereby I sort of, I work with developers, uh, academics, different global organizations um, to basically monitor and track all the COVID-19 vaccines that are being developed. So those that are in the pipeline, the preclinical pipeline, so that are being sort of um, tested before they go into the clinical phase, I follow and track those that are in the clinical phase. So they go through, you know, the phase one, the safety sort of testing, and then phase two and phase three, where they start to look at the efficacy in in different populations. And um, post phase three as well, we also track vaccines that are being conceptualized. So, you know, the ideas of how vaccines can be developed against COVID-19 and that are sort of being tested in the lab. And so this is a very much a global initiative. We work across literally the whole world to collect and gather all this information and then use data across all of this to basically analyze and inform decisions that are made at the research level and at the policy level. So at the moment, an interesting fact there are now 359 uh, COVID-19 vaccines um, that exist that are either in the clinical pipeline or preclinical pipeline, among which are obviously the vaccines that we, we, we currently know are being used in countries. 161 of them are in the clinical pipeline and almost 200 are in the preclinical phase. And there are more coming. <laughs> so this is, this is a huge number of vaccines that we track. Um, Another piece of work is still linked to the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccines. Um, I work with academic institutes and other evidence-based organizations to assess the data on the effectiveness of these COVID-19 vaccines. And so we then look at the data, we pull it apart, we reanalyze it, we look at the strengths and the weaknesses so that we can really give a more transparent and pragmatic understanding of what the data is telling us. Um, And this has been really critical because, as you know, with the pandemic, there are so many voices, so many platforms, so many perspectives, um, ranging from individuals to different organizations to the government on how they interpret data. And so what we do is we try to present it in its truest form. 
and this is the kind of work that I would apply to any of the other pathogens that we look at in our team, such as Ebola or even monkeypox at the moment, which I'm working on now. So yes, this gives you an idea of what we do. And then ultimately what we try to do as the team, as the R&D Blueprint team, is we pull together information from across the global research community to sort of create roadmaps so that we can understand, you know, what research we need to do, what are the gaps, what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, how can we support different research teams around the world to do the best research, the most sort of optimal type of research, so that the best type of data is generated, and how can we share information. So it's very much a global collaborative process. Brilliant. And how would you say, how can technology innovations improve vaccine delivery and ultimately vaccine equity? I can give you some interesting examples. So um, an interesting one is um, improving formulations. So there's a lot of work that's being done into how can we actually take an existing formulation of a vaccine or recreate a new formulation to be able to, to withstand different temperature changes. So we have vaccines that can potentially be more heat stable, or we have vaccines that are made up that can be freeze damage resistant. So these types of technologies can address sort of temperature issues. There are also other interesting technologies whereby, um, I don't know if you know about this one, but there are these labels, these monitoring labels that are sort of like little sticky notes, if you like, that you can stick on the vaccine vials and they monitor the, the, the change in temperature. So if a vaccine has been outside of its storage temperature range for a certain period, you can look at this label to see whether it's still viable to use or maybe not viable. And this indicates to the healthcare worker whether they can use it or not. So these technologies are already being used and, you know, we're trying to, to sort of apply them to different vaccines and different scenarios. Other types of technologies, um, if I may carry on, um, would be even to look at the type of container you put the vaccine product in. Uh, so again, this is an interesting one. There are different types of containers and believe it or not, they can make a difference to, to addressing some of the challenges. So one interesting one is known as the compact pre-filled auto-disposable device. So this makes me laugh a little bit because the name itself really describes the, the attributes of this innovation that can help to, to deal with some of the challenges. So number one, it's compact. The design of the, of the container is such that because it's compact, you can package it really well compared to, for example, I'm sure you're aware, most vaccines come in a glass bottle with a needle and syringe. So this already increases the volume that you need to package them in, right? So with a compact design that already has a needle attached to it and already is pre-filled with the vaccine dose is gonna save on, on many things such as cost and packaging, as well as also you don't need a needle and syringe with this, you already have it attached to a needle. So the person that's delivering the vaccine won't have to sort of meddle with other pieces of equipment. So it makes it safer, it reduces contamination, and it makes it potentially easier to administer. So this device is sort of an all-in-one compact device that is, is considered to be innovative. And then obviously the last one I want to mention is one that 
perhaps I think we will talk about in more detail later, is, is known as the microarray patch. This is literally a patch of microneedles. This is a fascinating technology. It's in the pipeline at the moment. And this technology potentially can address multiple immunization barriers in terms of improving thermostability, better ease of use, avoiding the need to have multiple pieces of equipment. Like I said, the needle comes in a different package, the syringe comes in a different package, the vial comes in a different package. This technology is an all-in-one delivery tool for the vaccine, and it's sharps free. So this is one that, that is going to be quite exciting to, to watch. I hope this is giving you an overview of of, of the different types of technologies that are out there and um, a flavor of what advantages they may have and what role they'll play in, um, in improving equity in terms of reaching vulnerable people, being able to be distributed to low resource countries and, and to meet the needs of the different programs in the different countries. And if you had to pick out what was the most impactful technology that you worked on, that you've been working on during the COVID-19 pandemic, what, what would you go for? Um, so I've, I think if I had to pick one, I'm, I'm going to have to go with the mRNA. And I know, and I imagine a lot of people feel this way for obvious reasons. So, I mean, I've, I've been working in this field for a long time and I've been aware of this technology for a very long time. And in recent years, it's been you know, a lot of different sort of organizations and stakeholders have been so interested in this technology for obvious reasons, because, I mean, for maybe I'd say up to 30 years, it's, it's you know, researchers have been working with this technology. There are clinical trials that have been going on with it for influenza, Ebola, Zika, rabies. And, you know, this technology is being used for cancer therapy and um, for animal infections and in the veterinary field. So, I'd say that, as you know, the pandemic accelerated the ability for this, this vaccine platform to, to take center stage, so to speak. And it's because we already had all the knowledge. We had all the research. It was just it needed a kind of push, uh, a reason. And unfortunately, an extreme situation um, enabled this to, to be able to come into our um, uh, scope for, for using this technology now um, for vaccination. And as you know, it's been pivotal in controlling the pandemic and bringing us out of it and saving thousands of lives. So for me, if I had to pick one, it has to be the mRNA. And I think in an, in an extension to this, the fact that we now can see that this is a feasible technology to use, the, it, it's going to be applied across all other diseases now. And so this is something that's going to be very exciting and revolutionary. It's, it's been like a scientific revolution, quite frankly, the ability to, to, to see this technology come to the limelight uh, has been so, so exciting. And, and it's been a long, long time waiting. But I also would also like to say, you know, having the advantage of working on all the COVID vaccines that um, I think the other impactful area is is really, it's not just one technology, it's knowing that there are multiple different technologies now in the pipeline and that they will serve potentially different purposes. And this links to, to the previous question about the different types of technologies that can address different challenges. You know, we have, we have to think about vaccines in a very different way. 
we have to change our mindset when we when we think about vaccines. So so whilst I've picked the mRNA, I think I would say there are more there are a lot of interesting technologies that remain in the pipeline that I look forward to seeing coming out. And um, one of them in particular, I think, is interesting to talk about. And this is from the perspective of how we design, for example, the COVID vaccine. A lot of experts are now saying when we think about designing a vaccine, should we think about designing it not just for a particular disease, a particular pathogen, a particular variant, but for the family? So if we take COVID, for example, there are a few vaccines that are now in the pipeline that we call sort of pan-sarbacovirus vaccines or pan-coronavirus vaccines. And the idea is these vaccines um, are designed to address the different pathogens that belong to the coronavirus family. So the advantage of this is we are preparing for future outbreaks, not just for SARS-CoV-2, but SARS-CoV-1, MERS, or potentially any other pathogens within this family. It's, it's a huge effort. It's a, I think it's a difficult task, but what's interesting is conversations are being had now to really shift the way we think about designing vaccines um, from this perspective so that we can catch all the pathogens that belong to one family and give a wider breadth of protection. Absolutely. Yeah, I think those pan sarbacovirus uh, vaccines seem to be the, the big holy grail at the moment, don't they? I think lots yes, of groups, yes. lots of very high profile groups working on those, definitely. Yes. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a big task. It's one that I think we always like to discuss about. And I mean, there's so much research going on with it. And um, I think this is the way to go, because we've seen the issue with COVID, right? We have these variants that are emerging at a fast pace, some serious, some less serious. But, you know, we have to think beyond that. We have to think sort of with a broader perspective. Thank you very much, Fatima, for sharing your insights with us today. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe to the BioInsights podcast.